0: Hi, I'm Tim Harrison. I'm the Managing Director of IONIC Rare Earths. We're developing a magnet and rare earth supply chain uh, sourced from our unique asset at Makutu and also adding uh, magnet recycling capability to our suite of offerings uh, to the market.
1: Tim, I can see. I think, when did we see each other? Back in, uh, was it Africa? Back in May, I think. Yeah. Uh, I can see. Appreciate you coming on, making the time for us. Um, here's a question for you given the market dynamics at the moment, the economic climate. Is your company any better now than it was a year ago?
0: Oh, I would say definitely. We've uh, we've increased the resource substantially. Um, we've increased the confidence in the resource at Makutu. Um, we've started a mining lease application process. We're getting close towards the, the completion of a feasibility study to support that mining lease application. We're close to completing our environmental and social impact assessment. Um, and we've also uh, added uh, magnet recycling to the offering uh, within ionic rare earths. So, you know, in 12 months, I think we've, we've added uh, a lot of potential value.
1: Okay. But you, your share price has okay, had a, a, a moment in the sun briefly in the middle, of the middle of the year, but it doesn't seem to be moving. So something's amiss here. Is it the rare,
0: rare earth sector? Oh, look, I think uh, across the rare earth space, there's, there's a lot of companies that are undervalued, given that uh, the reality is that the demand isn't going away. Um, if we look at the thematics around EV, um, offshore wind, you know, month to month, the forecasts continue to increase. Um, and if we look at the numbers now on, on the supply of magnet rare earths, you know, dysprosium and terbium appear to be in deficit now, and neodymium and praseodymium appear to be in deficit next year. So I think we're getting closer to the point where, you know, the penny is going to drop uh, on the supply chain.
1: Right. But, well, let's talk about that. It, the, that may be the case now, but are there a whole slew of rare earth companies looking to come online at the same time? Would that be affecting people's decision-making here?
0: Look, potentially. I think there's a lot of rare earth projects that have been um, – Have been evaluated and been sitting on the shelf for a long time. Um, They also come with very hefty capital um, price tags to develop those projects. So, you know, we see Makutu as being a low capital, modular approach to get into production uh, and then from there grow uh, organically in time into increasing uh, magnet rare earth prices.
1: Right, but you, it is a big project and modular it may be, but you know, you've, you've got to obviously supply into market. So have you been able to communicate clearly, articulate clearly to the market how you get your product into market if there's a buyer and you know, if so, you know, you know, what do the margins look like?
0: Oh, look, at the moment, there's a big buyer that buys China. Um, we're doing a lot of work now in, in trying to work out an alternative supply chain to go downstream. Uh, But simply going and building a refinery or building Makutu, then building a refinery, we produce oxides. Where do those oxides go? We have to find the right partner to convert oxides to metals, metals to alloys, alloys to magnets. So there's still a lot of work that needs to be done on that supply chain. Um, And I think that the modular approach that we're looking at at Makutu enables us to grow into that organically.
1: Right, but you need to be having conversations with partners um around, in terms of that that food chain but you're also going to have to find funders no matter how how small he are happy with you selling into china because we've we've had conversations with groups who have positively been encouraged not to supply into china to be able to secure funding so h- how do you tackle all of that
0: well look i mean we're, we're focusing on on alternative supply chains into western markets um that that's been the focus of the company for the last 12 months and uh you know, we, we have numerous discussions with varying groups, all have limit or developing understanding of the rare earth supply chain and what needs to happen. There's an education process that we're working through with those groups. Um, and we also need to, to probably work towards getting a mining lease application approved at Makutu, um, and some other activities to look at de-risking the project to be able to move that forward.
1: Right. Okay. Well, look, I, I guess you may or may not be having conversations in the background, which you can't tell us about. But so let, let, let's, let's go let's go to the ground there. So, so in terms of the mining licence application, you've started the process. What does that actually mean? Does it mean you've got a bunch more work to do or are you actually engage with, with government?
0: Well, so we've been engaging with government now for quite some time. Um, as part of that mining lease application, you know, there's a number of key inputs that are required to be submitted. Um, one is, a, is an economic feasibility study, which we're fin- uh, finalising at the moment. Uh, we're waiting on some key inputs uh, to be able to finalise the, the FS. We're waiting on the approval of the environmental and social impact assessment. Um, and they're really two of the major inputs that go into that mining lease application. So whilst we've started the process, we've got to wait for those documents to be finalised. We're aiming at having that done by the end of October.
1: So you will do your bit by the end of October, and then how long typically, we're seeing longer and longer um, time uh, requirements for different jurisdictions around the world with regards to mining licences, certainly with regards to environmental, what's your expectation there in uh, in Africa?
0: So um, under the Ugandan Mining Act, uh, the period of deliberation on a mining lease application is mandated at 60 days. So um, we've had a lot of dialogue with the Ugandan government, key stakeholders there from uh, the DGSM Department of Mining or uh, Minerals and Energy Development. Um, and we're working closely with stakeholders there so that we are getting ahead of the curve on the process. We're also waiting for some f- key feedback uh, from stakeholders in Uganda. Um, our expectation is that we'll have that mining lease approved in the first quarter of next year.
1: Right. Okay. And then what? What happens at that point?
0: Well, then it gets interesting. Um, So one of the things that we see as being quite key to the development of Makutu and our ability to go downstream is a demonstration plant. I think um, a demonstration plant will greatly help us de-risk Makutu. Plus, it'll also enable us to start to produce significant quantities of product, uh, mixed rare earth carbonate product, that we'll need to work with various downstream partners on, whether that be supplying an MREC for, for maybe other partners who are looking at developing a refinery uh, or for ourselves to go ahead and do all of the piloting work and process development work on the refinery to produce the oxides to take um, into those partnerships and collaboration with uh, metal makers, alloy makers, magnet makers. So there's a huge amount of work still to be done, uh, but it all starts with Makutu. Uh, and getting that mining lease application squared away.
1: Right. So that you obviously, you, you've done a sort of name change with regards to the 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 magnet recycling component, Iron Technologies. That that's great for them. It makes it kind of feel like a group now. But for you, you, I think we've talked about it in the past, which is, what do you want to focus on? Are you a miner? Do you want to bring in partners or do you want to do it yourself? with um, CapEx requirements, inflation and all of these other things allowing, you've got some big decisions to make about what you are next year, don't you?
0: Look, I think the opportunity with, uh, with ionic technologies now and moving into magnet recycling is that it enables us to move a lot faster on starting to produce the magnet rare earth oxides that we can then use in partnership collaboration agreements on demonstrating what supply chains would look like. So taking the oxides we produce out of Belfast and working with a partner on making metals, alloys, magnets. Um, That's how supply chains are gonna have to be developed, especially when you're starting with a very low base. You have to develop the the human capital, the resources that are gonna um, operate these plants going forward. So uh, it's gonna take time, but I think through the magnet recycling, we've got a great platform to start that process. Um, And if we look at the scale and the size of magnet recycling at the moment, magnet rare earths make up about 40% of the overall uh, magnet rare earth supply chain, uh, and that's completely dominated by China. So again, it provides us with an opportunity to start to um, stake our, our claim on magnet recycling, producing magnet rare earth oxides, separate and developing partnerships and collaboration with downstream partners
1: right so let's just talk, let's talk about the market a little bit um because we've seen some other companies and i think we, we've had a few on i've got some coming up here you, you talk a good game about their technical ability to actually process rare earths. it's harder than it sounds um, we've again you know i've had these conversations in the in the, in the past where the value lies and um, how, how do you see yourself going forward in terms of being able to fund you know, a lot of this in-house? We've talked a little bit about partners, but if you were to say, well, let's try and capture all of this value going forward, given the kind of small X china component to this, what, what could that look like if you did get on that path?
0: Look, I mean, we're evaluating all options, whether we go downstream ourselves, whether we go downstream with potential collaborators, partners. Um, There's a lot of interest in getting access to the product out of Makutu, given it's very unique. You know, there's not um, a huge amount of ionic absorption clays that are development-ready assets today. Um, So we see ourselves as being very unique. And anybody who wants to develop magnet rare earth. Um, a magnet rare uh, or heavy uh, rare earth refining capability is going to need a product from Makutu or a very similar product because these things are very rare to find. Um, and, and we're going to be bringing this product online in 2024. So it's perfectly time for some of these other projects that are looking to get into production as well.
1: Right. But okay. I appreciate you've got to be careful with what you, what you say. But it, I, what, I'm, what I'm trying to get at is how does this? move from a mining operation to perhaps reframing itself and being able to therefore potentially get a get a re-rate or do you not do that because um, you raised some money well back in april april may sort of time um this just could become a you know raise raise money spend it repeat raise money spend repeat it how, how do you kind of move quicker to the revenue component or what are the kind of catalysts where you think that genuinely create value for you, for the company and therefore hopefully in the market it's reflected in your share price
0: look I think the low capital opportunity with Makutu it's a very unique opportunity so by being able to go downstream find partners who are going to be able to take the product ex China uh, work with them on supply chain, you know, get into production, start generating revenues at Makutu. It's a 50 plus year potential asset. So um, we have an ability to, to grow into that asset, um, ideally grow into increasing magnet rare earth prices as well. And uh, with a unique product like ours, we can evaluate what's the best value for the company. Um, we've had a look at the basket. We've had a look at the downstream value, the uplift in refining ourselves. It's substantial. Um, and, and I think that that's something that hopefully we'll be able to, you know, um, put some put some color on over the, the months to come.
1: Right. But but, but tell, tell me what does that look? How does that actually happen? Because like it's like it, I don't want to have a kind of generalised conversation with you about the theory of this. It's like you guys have got this massive resource, right? Already, yep. it's big, multi generational, multi decade, whichever way you look at it. You can go modular. Or, you know, what? again, other companies in the space, and if I look look at the, you know, Linuses or MPs of this world, it's a lot of money to kind of get these things up and running, to kind of get those, those values. And you've got to go through the kind of steps to allow yourself to be in a position to potentially do that. So how do you accelerate this thing? That's what your shareholders are going to be looking for.
0: Look, uh, we're doing a lot of work with the downstream. I think in by being able to demonstrate the value of the downstream, it creates a a great opportunity for us to not only fund the downstream, but the upstream because in order to get this unique product, let's say, for example, there's a government who wants to develop a strategic stockpile of heavy rare earths. Where are they going to get it from? You know, these are materials that come from ionic adsorption clays. There's ourselves, there's one other asset being developed right now in Brazil. That product's committed to China. So it's a pretty short list if you're wanting to develop strategic stockpiles of heavy rare earths. So I think we're in a great position to take advantage of that that demand for ex-Chinese supply.
1: Right. So you're, you're, you're looking at Europe, presumably, because the US seems to be sorted out. There they, they seems to be a, big, a lot of big projects there, potentially, and a lot of money around. So is it Europe you're aiming for it?
0: Oh, I think yeah, probably the, there's been some commitments on refineries um, in the heavy rare earth space, but I don't know what they're going to put in it. Okay. You've got to have heavy rare earths to refine them in the first place.
1: Okay. There's a clue. Anyone listening?
0: <laughs> well, you know, there's, there's a demand and um, it's a pretty short list where you can get heavy rare earths from.
1: Right. And just to remind, I know, again, we've had the conversation in the past, but people who, who won't go back and listen to that, you know, ex- explain the difference between the lights and the heavies and the significance of the heavies.
0: Okay. So, um, I mean, from our point of view, classification of light rare earths is, is lanthanum, uh, cerium, uh, praseodymium, and neodymium, right? So they're commonly available from hard rock projects. Um, there's a plethora of those projects available for Western investors to, to get access to. Um, the Chinese have less than a handful of hard rock rare earth mines. Um, the heavy rare earths come from ionic adsorption clays. They have as many operating, um, ionic adsorption clays as they possibly can. Plus they're in Myanmar extracting the material there because it's extremely difficult to source. And so when we look at the, this, what they call the supply balance, um, where is the West going to get its supply balance from? it needs to find ionic adsorption clays. And so I think, again, a great opportunity for ionic rare earths with a very unique asset at Makutu into a market in both Europe and the US that uh, needs that product and is prepared to pay handsomely for it.
1: Right. And when you say pay handsomely for it, what, the, what is the market doing at the moment in terms of pricing?
0: Well, rare earth pricing's been off uh, since some of those peaks earlier this year. I think we've seen probably our basket price depreciate by around about 30 to 35% since the peaks in February. Um, But when we look at the forecast pricing, it's still extremely strong. I mean, you know, looking at our basket, some of the pricing out to 2030 uh, to 2035, basket pricing of, you know, effectively double what it is today. So, there's substantial upside in the, in the basket uh, in the long term. And that's driven by demand for the magnet rare earths, but also demand for, for heavy rare earths. Um, the requirement to bring on new supplies of, of dysprosium and terbium are absolutely critical for the development of permanent magnets. Uh, and with dysprosium and uh, both dysprosium and terbium in deficit right now, without new mines coming online to supply those materials into Western governments, find it very difficult to see how these targets are going to be achieved for net zero carbon um, on EVs and offshore wind.
1: Right, but isn't that part of the, the historical issue with rare earths is this kind of erratic nature of, of the of the pricing? And, you know, it's, it's also very hard to um, sort of track and get some sort of view what sustainable pricing might be even given the kind of supply demand fundamentals that you're saying. So does that make bankers nervous? Does it make funders nervous in the conversations that you may be having with them?
0: I think there's a lot of um, opaqueness about the rare earth market full stop. So, you know, looking back, yes, there's been a lot of uh, price spikes and uh, potentially manipulation on rare earth pricing. But the reality is the world needs more magnet rare earths going forward to develop all the EVs and offshore wind that governments have committed to so unless there's some sort of secret stash of uh ndpr or dytb out there um good luck
1: okay how's has money at the moment for you
0: oh look we're still sitting on quite a substantial amount of the money we raised earlier this year so uh yeah we've got um enough funds there to be able to work through the mining lease application and, and push into the demo plant next year plus also uh the demo plant for, for ionic technologies on the magnet recycling and a few other things we're looking at. So, no, we're, we're in a good position at the moment to, to hopefully add a lot more value um, over the next 6 to 12 months.
1: Right. Just on the ionic technologies, um, I mean, it's kind, of, it's kind of like small beer at the moment, but what's, what's the hope and the potential for that thing? You know, it's got, to, it's got to get bigger to be able to kind of create some value for you. The technology bit's great, but how do you make money from that and how do you realise that value?
0: Well, when you look at the current uh, landscape with regard to magnet recycling, you look at the numbers um, I was going through some, some Wood Mackenzie numbers uh, over the last couple of weeks, 40% of the current magnet rare earth supply um, comes from recycled material, 99% of that from China. Now, the Chinese have done a great job at building that network, the supply, getting that back into China. But what we've seen over the course of the last few years Western governments are very acutely aware of the the requirement for secondary processing of rare earths, and so we're looking at modular recycling of, of magnet rare uh, of magnets to be able to chemically and hydrometallurgically extract the rare earths back out to a uh, a high purity oxide form, where we can then deploy that in you know high intensity magnets going forward. Those magnets are potentially going to change in composition. We want to be a partner with. Uh, with metal makers, alloy makers, magnet makers going forward, so I, I think it's it's very hard to gauge how big the magnet recycling uh, could be. Uh, but what we do know is it's going to get a lot, but bar- uh, it's going to get a lot larger.
1: Right, but but answer, but answer the question about how do you make money and how do you raise the capital? You, you look to partner with or work with you know battery recyclers or battery manufacturers potentially. But how, how do you make money? What, what's the model that you're going to employ? Licensing.
0: Uh, Well, licensing royalties, um, there's a number of ways in which we're able to extract value from the technology, Uh, but ultimately it's the value of the oxides themselves. So uh, being able to work with supply chain partners on being able to get access to the spent materials in the first place, work with metal makers, alloy makers, magnet makers on being able to take that waste material back into the supply chain, deliver them the high purity oxides that they want to make the metals and alloys going forward. Um, I think there's this substantial value that will be created in that in that market, because the reality is that these metals are only going to get more difficult to source going forward, which would naturally imply that the prices are going to have to go up.
1: Right. So, okay. So, it's down to you to kind of go and have those conversations, get contracts or, you know, and there'll be different types of contracts, I, I suspect, you, available to you. That's a very different job from the mining component. There's a kind of gap. You're sitting at kind of either end of the spectrum. How do you close that gap? Or is there a point at which you spin out the technology bit and it becomes a subsidiary? Or how are you thinking about it?
0: Look, uh, all options are on the table at the moment because we see the ability to pick the technology up and deploy it globally. I mean, there's appetite for this technology in North America, in Europe, in Asia. Uh, and India. So there's an ability for us to look at partnerships. Uh, But, you know, talking about, you know, the two ends of the spectrum in between is actually the the, the rare earth refining, the separation refining technology, which we've been developing as well. So we are looking at that fully integrated supply chain, uh, the ability to add value all the way through the, um, you know, the, the the value addition from a mixed rare earth carbonate product produced at Makutu to ultimately a a magnet or a value added component. But then why only process it once when you can process it time and time again for many years to come? Okay. So
1: JP Morgan said on Friday, the market is at or near bottom, stocks are oversold. There are some bargains out there. So I'll ask you again. you believe this company is a better company than it was a year ago, but does it constitute good value today?
0: Oh, I would say given the value or the the de-risking activity that the company has done over the last 12 months, um, given the addition of ionic technologies, um, I would say that we're a significantly better company today than we were 12 months ago. Um, And from that, you know, ideally, uh, a more valuable company. So um, it's now about execution and being able to get the mining lease application submitted at Makutu, get a mining license um, awarded in Uganda and be on that path to production at Makutu.